This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora, I'm Ian Turner and welcome to Garden of Sound, sponsored by The Nephilist, all of the socialising, none of the headaches. Speaking of which, you can check out The Nephilist at the Banks Peninsula Festival on the 22nd of February. And if you want to find out a bit more about the awesome drinks The Nephilist stocks, you can head to thenephilist.com. Today's guest is Kaledad, a flamenco-inspired three-piece from Sydney. Before they became Jacinco, Senor Bang Bang and Polo Negro, Jason, Jules and Tom were mates at school who mixed their love of prog rock and metal with a little paprika and as they say, the rest is history. Thousands of performances and many countries later, Kaledad are set to release a new album onto an unsuspecting world. But has their conscious decision to shun a mainstream approach to their music helped or hindered their chance to reach their potential? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Kaledad on Plains FM 96.9. And a very good afternoon to Caladad from Sydney, Australia. I want to kick off uh, with you, Tom. Tom, what do you play in the band? I play rhythm guitar. Okay, so it's rhythm guitar. Yeah. Um, I want you to tell me, what is your very first memory of music? Um, I guess it would have to do something with my parents' music. And uh, my father was really into, or still is into, the Beatles and all that. He grew up in London in the 60s and 70s, so really into that music. So I guess one of my earliest memories would be that. Actually, it would be actually um, Chuck Berry on the way to school every morning from my house in Lane Cove in Sydney to Lane Cove West Public School was about a four and a half minute drive. So every morning for years, the whole of primary school, we listened to um, a Chuck Berry song, Up in the Morning and Out the School. That was like our morning routine. What so would have happened if that song didn't get played? Do you think, um, you know, it would have ruined your day? It was definitely it was definitely a good a good time. Yeah, Jules, I'll move on to you. Um, you are the percussionist uh, extraordinaire, and I say percussionist because you play the cajon. Yeah. Yes. Or is that what what do you refer to it as? Yeah, cajon. Cajon. Yeah. Slap box, box drum. Tell me about music and, and growing up in your household. My father was into me. He still is, but was a big influence because he used to have a huge CD collection, like stacks, and um, me and my brother would just take him out and put him on CD player with this awesome sound system and would run around and be blasting Guns N' Roses and Metallica like we knew how all the songs went and yeah so that was like the earliest memories of music what got you into drums at least was it was it that music or was it somebody sort of saying hey here's a pair of sticks bash away on this I forget how I think it was maybe my 11th or 12th birthday me and my brother both got these uh guitars i like i don't even know what that like fender or not maybe not fender but like really cheap kind of versions with these little pocket amps and me and my brother would jam and i couldn't play the guitar to save my life like my just couldn't get the, the fingerings right and yeah. the, whatever the shapes and then um got lessons for a little bit still nothing so i would just resort to banging on shoe boxes with coke bottles and like pots and stuff and um my brother would be the guitarist is your brother still playing Yes, he is. He's uh, he kind of we played in a band together with Jace, and he was on bass guitar, and he's played on a couple of tracks of ours on bass, mm -hmm. 
and now he picks it up from time to time, but he's more into the electronic side of it now. Okay. Jason, uh, I met you at the O'Kane's Bay Music Fest, and we had a, we had a quick chat, but uh, what got you into guitar in the first place? Was it, was it as a young person, or were you talking sort of like, you know, early teens? Well, really, the only reason I played the guitar is because my mum wouldn't let me play the drums because they were too loud in the house, and I still want to play the drums. Should have got to Jules' house. I, as soon as I, as soon as I met Jules, I did start going to his house almost every day, sometimes in school holidays and things like that. Um, yeah, I always wanted to be a drummer. Wasn't allowed to play the drums, and then had to choose an instrument. It just seemed, in my family, for whatever reason, it just seemed appropriate that when I started high school, I should play an instrument. That just was kind of agreed, and I, I just thought everything except the drums was so boring. And went down the list, saxophone, no, piano, no. And then when it got to guitar, was at least that's at least like, can at least live with that, I suppose. So what was playing in the house uh, in the formative It was never years. in the It was always in the car, so not so much in the house. But um, my mum always listened to Cat Stevens and Greek and Italian music. A lot of classical radio and lots of concerts. So a lot of Beatles tribute shows and Elvis tribute shows is what I really remember. You mentioned classical music, at least um, a lot of technical brilliance, obviously, in some of the, the, the previous masters. Do you think that's kind of influenced uh, some of the um, some of the guitar that you play, at least in the, in the solos? Yeah, classical is a massive influence on me now. I didn't like it when I, when I was at school and forced to learn it. It wasn't so interesting, but I, that's not true. I struggled with it because it's really hard and I wasn't very talented, but I liked it. And um, classical music has probably the most interesting melodic shapes of any music and also the most use of accidental notes. So for example, in like, uh, let's say a normal pop song or whatever, if you're in like the key of C major, let's say, you'll almost, almost every note will be from a C major, roughly. But I learnt studying, especially things like Mozart, that I, in classical music, those masters were able to just throw the rule book completely out the window when appropriate. And that kind of gave me permission to throw the rule book out the window. Yeah and learn that you can stretch out so far more than music theory and the rules. Yeah. Tom, I'm going to come back to you. Band formation, at least. Who did you meet first out of these, uh, out of these two guys? We all went to school together. So mm-hmm. we've known each other for a long time. Which school was that? It was Sydney Grammar School. Sydney, Sydney. Grammar School. And um, what's that like as a school? Uh, a great school. It's good. Yeah, yeah. It's really good, yeah. Okay. It wasn't. <laughs> it's the best school. Is it? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Okay. Me and Jules were in the same year at school. We were really good friends with JC's younger brother, James Contos. Mm-hmm. And that's how kind of the group the group met. Were there any designs uh, to go off and do great things or was it just sort of messing around as, as young people? Jules and I were living in a flat together and Jace and Jules were playing in the band at the same time and we were kind of just, yeah, late night jams and busking sessions and stuff. It was all just a bit of fun mm-hmm. and then we started to take it a bit more seriously. So uh, the three of you getting together, um, just quickly tell me, um, where does Calidad come from? Calidad is the Spanish word, which means quality. I visited Spain for a short period of time. And during that trip, I played a Spanish guy. His name is actually a radio DJ like you. He, um, his name was Dr. Musica, Dr. Music. <laughs> Um, I should change my name. Uh, ba- basically, I was at a bus. It was I went to Sevilla in Spain, which is one of the homes of flamenco. It was 50 degrees Celsius, one of the hottest days ever, including a lifetime living in Australia. Yeah. And I got off the bus, I think it was 6 a.m. And anyway, there was just this dusty bus stop and kind of not much around. And, you know, bus stops, bus stations are never right in town. Yep. And I went to this guy and I said, excuse me, uh, donde las flamenco? <laughs> And he just looked at me and laughed and said it's like... six in the morning. Yeah. I just said, where is the flamenco? And he just said, come with me. Like, he just looked at me like I was the dumbest person ever, which I was. And he said, come with me. 
took me to his place. He says, this is where I live. You know, there's a flamenco show tonight, blah, blah, blah. I've got a radio station. And I played him uh, Jules and I's previous, our rock band. Yeah. And I said, this is what I do, but I've come to learn flamenco. And he said, I really like your music. It's beautiful. It's Calidad, which was his way of saying it's really nice music. And so when we chose a name, that was one of many, many names that was on a big list of sheet of paper, probably 50 plus ideas that we had. Yeah. And that was the one that ended up getting... By a process of elimination, Calidad was the last word on that piece of paper. So there's this brainwave that comes back with, with Jason. Did it sort of take much convincing to say, let's sort of move away from the rock and into the sort of the Spanish influence kind of thing? Not really for me, no. I think it was kind of separate to Jace, but at a really similar time, I kind of discovered a Mexican duo called Rodrigo y Gabriela. It was probably about uh, 2000 and eight or something mm-hmm. it was so I don't so they know. weren't huge in australia no, at that point? no they okay. weren't i don't even know if they were huge internationally at that point i think i was pretty pretty keen for it at that point so what about you jules yeah well for me it was like that spanish kind of flavor um and that rhythm i was not exposed to at all growing up and like getting into going uh on my journey through music and drumming and i was always drawn to a lot of um like almost like tribal kind of rhythms and um, and a lot of metal rhythms. And I got a lot of my influences from bands like uh, like Tool and Primus and even Chili Peppers, Pink Floyd, um, and just try to make this mix of whatever, as long as it was busy. Because I, I don't, I rarely like sitting back on a beat unless everyone is locked in and it's sounding good. Um, so when Jace was bringing this new style of music, I didn't like it at first. I was thinking, oh. and this is the original well, older band, Juan Ronick Manfred. And um, it just took a lot of uh, adapting and thinking, well, how can I use what I know and apply it to this kind of style? I didn't go out and study like Spanish music or flamenco or samba or stuff like that. Yeah. Just from listening and fitting in the pocket trying to see where it goes is how I adapted to it and then I learned to like it and now it's fun so much fun to play part of the soul yes this is a perfect jumping off point into some music now when you talk about sort of some tribal rhythms and we talk about a little bit sort of rock and metal and that kind of thing immediately Tool Mm. will there be a Tool track that maybe has influenced you guys Parabola I think Why is that? I remember when Jules and I started jamming I used to go to his garage And I was just absolutely blown away That he could play Parabola on the drums And you could just stand and watch him play Just the drum kit and know kind of the whole song It seemed like it seemed like he was playing the vocal melody And the guitar part and all But he was just playing the drums So I was like wow this guy can really drum And Tool can really write songs And Dan Carey can really play And that song's a bit of an anthem for us In the car or wherever we are Oh 
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Khaledad on Plains FM 96.9. Jason, I'm going to kick off with you. First big gig. System of a Down at the Horton Pavilion in Sydney. I think it was 2000, maybe 2002. And then the support act was Amen, who was also a big fan. They're kind of punk, like hardcore punk rock kind of thing. I don't know if they're still around, but they were amazing. And the, so the, the opening opening support act was an Australian band called Cog. I don't know if you guys know them over here, but it was just phenomenal. So left a lasting impression on Oh, absolutely, you? yeah. All those bands I still love. Um, we met one of the guys from Cog recently, actually. We, he was drumming for his dad, who's a bluesman, um, Kevin Borich. So Lucius Borich was drumming for him. And I said, hey, man, I was at... Because I was at that Horton Pavilion gig. And then I said, I came to see your band the next day at this tiny club in Sydney when there were maybe, I don't know, 20 people there the next afternoon, you know? So they're on this massive stage on Saturday night. They said, hey, come see us play tomorrow. So we did. And the room was even smaller than this room here at the Wonder Bar. And I remember um, the band was just getting changed behind what was essentially a curtain, like not even a curtain, just like kind of a tarp. And I was like, wow, is this like rock and roll? It's like last night they were doing that, tonight they're doing that. And it kind of is rock and roll. It's kind of how it is for us as well sometimes. You're on these massive stages or international festivals and sometimes you're playing before a much smaller audience and it left a very, very lasting impression in a very good way. Jules, what about yourself? Uh, somebody put some money in your hand and say, go off and see some music? My first big concert my parents took me to, it was actually my first concert, was uh, John Farnham. I was like five or six years old. Uh, it was a revolving stage and I just remember one of his songs from an NRMA ad. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, this, this guy. What about um, uh, music that's sort of more your speed when you weren't a young person, something that really stood out to you? I think the next uh, concert I chose to go to would have been The Offspring. Ah. I was heavily into Offspring. That okay. was like coming up when uh, we were teenagers, starting to become teenagers. And that was a lot of fun. I remember um, Dexter going out in the stadium with a, like a fire hose and just spraying the crowd <laughs> and you know just playing these epic riffs that i knew all the songs to and then for an intermission they just pulled out a couch on stage and just sat around drinking <laughs> beers while this overweight man with his huge belly and a g-string was just holding up an intermission sign you know and you're just looking at it and go wow that's so cool that these guys can just you know have you know five thousand people in the palm of their hand and and rock out and do whatever they want on stage and have fun so that was quite inspiring. Do you think the theatrical element of those guys, maybe not just that concert, has sort of influenced uh, what you guys do on stage? Because there's a very wicked sort of visual side to what happens. No G-strings yet. <laughs> yet. No G-strings, yeah, yeah. We've started, started to wear more clothes. But, yeah, definitely, I think all of our, or most of our favourite bands are theatrical. If they're not... If they don't have really cool visual effects they themselves, like bands like Slipknot or um, Tool have got great visual effects. Pink Floyd, like some of the most hectic laser shows. Um, and Offspring's one of them, larger than life. Instead of standing around and playing, they're performing as well. I like the idea of trying to activate as many senses as possible for the audience, you know? So be visually stimulating as well as sonically. Gigwise, Tom. What was the first one that you got along to? Uh, Blink One Eighty Two. Ah, in my in my skater days. Is any particular track that sort of jumped out at you from <laughs> those lads? Uh, the thing that you really remember is not the tracks, but the kind of the banter in between <laughs> the tracks okay. is kind of the more memorable stuff. Oh, yeah. Talking about G strings, there's plenty of G strings in Blink One Eighty Two. <laughs> I want to talk about um, looking back 
uh, I'm not going to say a charmed existence. You you tend to travel around. Um, you meet some wonderful people. You're genuinely nice guys, and that always helps. But Jason, is there anything you'd sort of you'd say to your 15 year old self? Let's say um, maybe to move you in a I don't know a different direction, or maybe move you along a bit faster. Anything you'd say to that that young just lad? ignore everybody's advice because I was a pretty rebellious 15 year old and made the mistake many times of listening to parents friends advisors music industry people and probably uh should have just always listened to myself don't get talked out of your crazy ideas in fact pursue them more avidly so yeah pretty much don't take advice would be my advice to my 15 year old self just do so would you listen to that advice or yeah exactly well that's the problem Yeah, because I'm pretty much living exactly what I hoped to do when I was 15, except there's been way too many painful detours from following well-meaning but mistaken people. Mic drop. Like, I mean, there's some advice that maybe you can use, but a lot of them can't be applied to what you're doing. Only you really know what you're trying to do. Everyone's looking at me. Am I supposed to dish out some No, I'm going to ask you about... um, stuff not going that well on stage um <laughs> like the whole gigs or yeah why are you asking pr- me this pr- pretty right. much i just feel drawn right uh, to, to question you about this has anything gone so tragically wrong that you couldn't resurrect it or just i don't know what's been the craziest thing we lit jules's jacket on fire oh, once yes. during the gig was that, that on was, purpose no that was by accident that was in our early days um, what were you trying to do? Was it was there a candle know. behind there was you? Or yeah, it was an early attempt at production, so we had like a hundred candles behind us. Pyrotechnics. And uh, Jules took off his jacket and threw it behind him, and it, and, and the three people in the crowd, I think yeah. two of them didn't even say anything, and one person was like, uh, "Hey guys." I don't know if they were concerned. They they didn't stop eating their burritos. <laughs> they were just munching on the nachos, and you know, I just I could feel the glow happening. Behind us, I can presume the music stopped at that point. Was there a fire I, extinguisher? I think it did. It's hard to have continued. Jules would have had to sort himself out, yeah, but you yeah, don't yeah, stop no, the show. You never stop in the middle of a hoedown. That was one of my first guitar lessons. My teacher said, "Never stop in the middle of a hoedown." Yeah, that's so probably the one advice. The, sh- the show Yeehaw. must go on. Once at New Year's Eve, we're playing at the, we played at the first ever Lost Paradise Festival, and um, the electronics in my guitar failed kind of during the encore when everyone was just going absolutely psycho. And I knew I didn't have a spare guitar and I knew there'd be no way to fix it kind of out there in the bush with the the resources at hand. So I decided to smash the guitar and give it to the audience to smash. So it cost me one of my favorite guitars, but it was either that or kind of uh, really have a massive anticlimax to the show. So a, a minor electronic failure, which could have been fixed in Sydney very quickly, turned into a, a smash guitar, but a great memorable evening. Sorry, one more. <laughs> you don't have to put your hand up. <laughs> in the early days, we were playing... Um, uh, a little band competition. Sometimes it's it's a thing that we do back in the days. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we didn't win. We came second, and we got this uh, little check. But then we got a bill because one during one of the songs, Jace went to jump up on the bar during his solo and took out one Standard. of the lights with his head <laughs> and smashed it. And um, so it was like you know. So what was the bill worth? It was a bit of sweet. The prize like money. <laughs> okay, that was pretty much it. The measly check and the bill the for the light. <laughs> it was a good night. Was it, it was worth it, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was awesome. And you've got a great totally. story to tell on radio. I think we got ripped off on the competition. But, you know, yeah, no, some I'm of joking. the judges quit because, the, without bragging, we were definitely the best act at the competition. And then the, 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 they gave us second prize, but the first prize went to the niece of like the lady who organised it. But there was also so some of the judges quit in protest. That was very controversial. There was also, I think, there was three 
marking criteria. And one of it was like, I don't know, stage presence. Yeah, musicianship. Oh, and, and the third one was zero. vocals. So we got, we got zero for vocals. Because we're an instrumental band. And not smashing up the place. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we talked about a bunch of bands already uh, in the show that sort of uh, typify the Colour Dud sound. Uh, any track you could agree on, maybe you might listen to it before a show or something, from an artist, any favourite track that you can agree on? We agreed on Pink Floyd. It was hard to choose a song because there's so many that we love, but we decided Us and Them. One of It could have been probably 10 or 12 or even more Pink Floyd tracks. We have a very shared love of Pink Floyd. Also Black Sabbath, also Tool and many other groups, but we chose Us and Them by Pink Floyd.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Caladad on Plains FM 96.9, recorded practically live uh, at their Wunderbar in Littleton. I want to talk about production and recording at least. When was the first time that Caladad in its um, Spanish flamenco uh, format got into the studio? Well, we didn't get into the studio. I guess it began a tradition of the studio coming to us, which is something we've done maybe for about half of our recordings. So, as we mentioned earlier in the interview, we went to school together. Another close friend of ours at school was Fan Sharif, who is an audio engineer. So, when we were a starting out band, he was a starting out audio engineer. And as we've grown and progressed, so has he. For our album, Death Fear, our first recording, Fan bought his computer and his microphones and whatever gear he needed to the infamous flat in Bondi, where the guys live, where Khaled had started, Casa Manana, which was a real party place. He bought his gear there and we essentially sat in the kitchen slash living room set up kind of like this. We had some microphones, a nice, a nice wide, big, open, airy room. And we sat there and we played a handful of songs and they became the core of the Death Fiesta album. And then we did go into a studio in Coogee in Sydney and record the remainder of that album. So the Death Fiesta album, which is our debut album, is kind of two sets of songs from two different recording sessions. But that was our early live set. Um, the songs themselves, at least their construction, um, how does that uh, come about, Tom? I guess any one of us, we all we all pitch in with different ideas and we practice a lot, and we rehearse a lot and we've kind of always spent as much time rehearsing as possible leading up to the recording sessions, you know? So that's kind of always been the ethos, I guess, is kind of spend as much time playing the songs, playing them live really working them out and getting them tight and then spending as little time as possible in the actual studio. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. What's the uh, recording, Jules, that you are most proud of in terms of song? Okay, well, there's actually two. Uh, One of them is Lombok Rasta, recorded uh, actually with Steve, my brother, on bass. That's my favourite, one of my favourite recordings. But um, because it gets a bit electric and you see a different side of Kaladad that you don't, usually see or hear but the first my favorite is still i think one of the very first songs we recorded called jamaretto and it was recorded in that flat in bondi in uh almost like a a built stage that was there when we moved in and it was like a beautiful lit sun room amazing flat it was it was it was was cool it was really cool and there's a lot of special memories there but 
for some reason this recording came out so perfectly like the wood and the instruments everything just fit into place and the song itself one of our first songs that we wrote and that is like such a moment in time that it's so hard to replicate that it's one of my favorite now groups um where there are a singer and lyrics and things like that i might ask you know what's the song about but uh, jason would you be able to support put stories to the um to the instrumentation at least a lot of them have stories a lot of the time we might be in a amazing situation and say let's try and encapsulate this for example there's a song plaza man on our first trip to europe we got off the train in barcelona and you can imagine how excited and tired and jet lagged and just kind of thrilled and adrenaline filled we were and how exciting the path ahead of us was but also at that time there was a kind of homeless guy having like a kind of coughing fit or really in a very very bad way uh, while we were sitting there in this nice cafe having our pizza and our coffee and being really happy and really excited. We were watching this poor man really struggling and then we tried to give him a bit of bit of pizza and a bit of money but the police kind of came and kicked him around a bit and kind of dragged him off a bit and so that song, for example, was about that moment and that guy. He was playing guitar, wasn't he? Wasn't he trying to yeah, busk? He was. was he? Yeah. He was walking around yeah. with a guitar trying to... Um, so that's just an example of where we're in a moment and we go there's also certain songs that are written for friends of ours like we have a friend our big bill he is one of our keenest supporters he lives in western australia and he's gone to the length of actually registering in western australia the number plate calidad and he put it on one of his work trucks and he lends it to us whenever we go to his home state to say thank you we wrote a song called big bill's blues which we tried to encapsulate his swagger and his and he's one of the biggest guys you've ever seen his enormous size his power and his kind of uh his kind of groove as he as he kind of strolls through the saloon so there's big bill's blues so a lot of the songs are dedicated to a person a place some of them just have a name lombok ruster is about the rusters that live in lombok in indonesia and others are far more esoteric and abstract as well so there's a huge range producer wise um, is there anyone that you guys sort of would like to get into a studio with to maybe try something different or maybe push what you're already doing Tom uh, Rick Rubin if he's available yeah, yeah I think why be Rick Rubin <laughs> I think he's produced some of the the best albums ever hasn't he it's anyone that you'd like to work with Jules I if I had a choice I would say uh, I don't know the names but um, whoever produces Rodrigo and Gabriella's albums because um, I think they're the closest uh, set up to what we have with a Spanish style acoustic. Yeah, I would like to hear how it would come out. Mm-hmm. So no vocals, but is there any kind of singing at all? Every album we've ever released had some human voice on it. It might be us yelling, it might be someone laughing, it might be a few words, it might be a sample of somebody talking. Yes. Our most recent album, which will be released in March has got vocals on two tracks, which is the same singer who sang on the previous album, Flamingo. Her name's Taylor Beadle-Williams. She's actually half Kiwi. Um, she's the most amazing singer I know. And she vocalizes, so she doesn't use lyrics, but she uses words, oohs and ahs, which is influenced by the Pink Floyd song, The Great Gig in the Sky, On the Dark Side of the Moon. We've all loved that track forever. And so there's a couple songs that have singing on them, female singing. And as I say, many songs that have some kind of vocalization, whether it's us laughing, talking, saying something silly, or somebody else that we've sampled and put on the album. Okay, it's about time to hear something from Khalidad. What are we going to play for the uh, for the adoring public? We are releasing an album in March called Untitled, but the single from that album is Parlay. So I think we've got to share the single with the people. Fantastic. And we chose it at the single as the single because it's got everything 
that a Calidad song should have. Powerful, interesting drumming, fast Spanish guitars, some shredding, some metal, some offbeat things and some surprises and even a bit of musical humor. So I think we give Parlay to give the people a good general idea of what we're all about.
This is the Gardener Sound interview with Kalidad on Plains FM 96.9. We have just heard parlay. Parlay as in conversation. Let us parlay. Let us talk with one another. That's one of two meanings. Yeah, so in the Pirates of the Caribbean, they parlay when Captain Jack Sparrow gets gets captured. Um, To parlay was for a gambler to take their winnings and kind of bet it on the next bet. And we feel like that's what we've done with our career. Every time kind of uh, you make a little bit of a breakthrough, you go, great, now we've got more firepower to do the next one. That can be a bit crazy sometimes, but we've done it every time and we've kind of won that bet pretty much every single time. For the new album in March, um, what are you doing differently? Jace, you've been working closely well, with... We're working with a PR person for the first time, a guy called Jacob from Lithium Agency in Brisbane. So we've traditionally ignored the music industry almost as a point of pride. Uh, this time we are going to have Jacob contact them on our behalf, share our music and our video with them to various blogs, radio stations, etc. So that's something new for us. And also the tour for the album will involve us for the first time touring full time with drum kit, bass guitar and electric guitar. So each of us will play our acoustic instrument and then we will also have our electric instrument as standard for that tour. We've kind of played around a bit with the um, electric instruments in the past on previous albums there's been some bass guitar electric guitar and drums we've we've toured with the drum kit a fair bit in australia in the past and yeah the electric guitar used to come on some tours so they've kind of always been there in the albums um but yeah we just tried to incorporate that into the live show a bit more recently just also we want to give the fans something new and something new for ourselves as well any new places you're planning on playing any places around the world you want to get to that you haven't played before i think we want to get everywhere we've had some serious and i i don't say that lightly because i mean some bands and their management might want to go where it's most profitable or there's the most people or the most our okay. university we truly um are proud and our audience understands and recognizes that we go places other bands won't for example okane's bay a lot of bands would say that's too far away as a point of pride and a point of personal curiosity and adventure, we do go where other bands won't go, whether that's places in Indonesia, places in New Zealand, uh, wild and remote places in Australia that bands don't get to. We've been having serious talks in Canada, mm-hmm. so maybe 2021 in Canada. And every year in Europe, we go to some new places. For example, this year there's talk in Serbia for the first time, which would mm-hmm. be amazing. We would like to try and get to South America at some point. A lot of, uh, we, have, there's a, we have a strong South American fan base and um, I think it, it would go down well. Yeah. Somewhere like Chile or Argentina or something. Guys, you have been absolutely amazing. It's been wonderful to, uh, to dig deep into your, to your history and find out what's, what's coming up. I need, I need another track um, for the end of the show. Um, is there another Caladad number? Maybe we could look at something, something older. Tom's just suggested, I think it's a good suggestion just to give people the broadest uh, appli- uh, kind of invitation to our music. Death Fiesta was the title track of our first album. It's still extremely popular. It's our, still our most played song on Spotify. And it's a song that gets uh, run in almost every Caladad concert. So let's show the people Death Fiesta. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for being here today. My guests were Colourdud, and this interview was recorded at Littleton's iconic Wunderbar. Thanks also to Sam, the sound guy, who was quiet as a quiet thing while setting up for their gig. Head along to gardenofsound.nz and click on Colourdud's picture on the front page to find out more about what they're up to, especially details about the remainder of their New Zealand gigs in Arrowtown, Takaka, Mapua, and tonight in Wanaka at Fitzpatrick's Irish Hub. You can also check out a bespoke Spotify playlist of all the songs and artists we talked about today from that page. All right, that's Garden of Sound for another week. Love to have you back next Friday. In the meantime, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. Hi there, da.